Hey, I want to welcome everybody again. Um, as Pastor Walter said, uh, we welcome you here. And um, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to come before you now and to preach the Word of God to you. And before we get into that time, uh, for those of you that are online with us, I welcome you as well. Uh, for those online and for those in here, uh, we always mention here at this point, because if we were typically picking it up, we would mention it here. Uh, if you want to continue into the uh, time period of worshiping through giving, you can do so at homesavenue.com forward slash give, uh, or you can give it to one of our deacons as you depart from here this morning. Um, I, I want to welcome you uh, and, and invite you to open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13. Now, I'm going to give you a little heads up. We are covering three chapters today. And besides the fact of it being a lengthy passage to read through at the beginning, I'm going to do my very best to be brief in that regard uh, this morning. Uh, but we are going to cover three chapters because of how it all fits together. Um, so we're going to be in Leviticus chapter th uh, 13 through 15 today. I'm going to title the message, Clean Up. And I think part of the, the reasoning why you will see here in a few moments as we go through this passage. Uh, but to kind of bring you up to speed, if you're new here or haven't been here uh, in, a, in a little while, or maybe this is your first time joining us online or in a little while online, uh, we have been going through the book of Leviticus, Holy God, Holy People, our series uh, through this book. And uh, it has been a journey. It has been a wonderful journey. I've thoroughly enjoyed going through the book of Leviticus and seeing how things of the Old Testament, how they can apply to us today in the, under the new covenant through Jesus and how it all points to Christ. And to bring you up to speed, and we're, we've been journeying these last few weeks through chapters 11 through 15, these purity laws, and, and today we culminate with 13 through 15 before we take a little break for next Sunday being Palm Sunday and the following Sunday, of course, being Easter Sunday. And so, with that said, I'm not going to go into a big, long introduction. I'm going to go right into the reading of the text. As I said, there are three chapters we're going to cover. It's like 159 verses, okay? Buckle up. Bring your lunch, all right? I'm going to ask you to please just sit for this as we read through it all. Leviticus chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on a skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priest. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body, and the, in the hair of the diseased area he has turned white, and a disease appears to be deeper than the skin of the body. It is a case of leprous disease." When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of the body and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if in his eyes the disease is checked, and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days." And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall not pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest." 
and the priest shall look, and if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. Verse 9. When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look, and if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and there is a raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of the body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin, so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of the diseased person from head to foot, so far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It is all turned white, and he is clean. But when a raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. But if the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And a disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean. If there is in the skin of the body a boil and it heals, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a reddish white spot, then it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall look, and if it appears deeper than the skin, and its hair has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is the case of leprous disease that is broken out in the boil. But if the priest examines it and there is no white hair in it and it is not deeper than the skin but has faded, then the priest shall shut him up seven days. And if it spreads in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, it is, it is the scar of the boil and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or when the body has a burn on it and its skin and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a spot, reddish, white, or white, then the priest shall examine it. And if the hair in the spot has turned white and it appears deeper than the skin, then it is a leprous disease. It is broken out in the burn and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the priest examines it and there is no white hair in the spot and it is no deeper than the skin but has faded, the priest shall shut him up seven days. And the priest shall examine him the seventh day. If it is a spreading in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread in the skin, but is faded, it is a swelling from the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean, for it is the scar of the burn. When a man or woman has disease on the head or the beard, the priest shall examine the disease. And if it appears deeper than the skin, and the hair is in it yellow and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or beard. And if the priest examines the itching disease and it appears no deeper than the skin and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person in the itching disease for seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch, if the itch is not spread, then there is no yellow in the hair. Then the itch appears no deeper than the skin. Then he shall shave himself, but the itch he shall not shave. And the priest shall shut the person up with the itching disease for another seven days. And on the seventh day, this priest shall examine the itch. And if the itch is not spread in the skin, and it appears to be no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And if the itch has spread in the skin, the priest need not, ask, need not seek for the yellow hair. He is unclean. But if in his eyes the itch is unchanged, the black hair has grown in it, and the itch is healed, he is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. When a man or woman has spots on the skin of the body, white spots, the priest shall look, and if the spots on the skin of the body are of a dull white, it is leucoderma, and has broken out in the skin, he is clean. 
If a man's hair falls out of his head, he is bald, he is clean. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has a baldness of the forehead, he is clean. But if there is on the bald head or a bald forehead a reddish-white disease area, it is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his uh, bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine him. And if the disease swelling is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of a leprous disease in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean, the disease is on his head." The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. When there is a case of leprous disease in a garment, whether a woolen or a linen garment, in warp or woof of linen or wool or in a skin of anything made of skin, if the disease is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the skin or in the warp of the woof or in any article made of skin, it is the case of leprous disease and it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease and shut up that which has the disease for seven days. Then he shall examine the disease on the seventh day if the disease has spread in the garment. In the warp of the wolf or in the skin, whatever be the use of the skin, the disease is a persistent leprous disease. It is unclean. And he shall burn the garment or the warp or the wolf or the wool and the linen or any article made of skin in the disease, for it is a persistent leprous disease. It shall be burned in the fire. And if the priest examines, and if the disease has not spread in the garment, in the wolf, excuse me, in the warp or the wolf or any article made of skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is, is the disease, and he shall shut it up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine the diseased thing after it has been washed. And if the appearance of the disease area has not changed, though the disease has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in the fire, whether the rot is on the back or on the front. But if the priest examines and if the diseased area has faded after it has been washed, he shall tear it out of the garment or the skin or the warp or the wolf. Then it appears again in the garment, in the warp or in the wolf or any article made of skin is spreading. You shall burn with fire whatever has the disease. But the, the garment or the warp or the wolf or any article made of skin from which the disease departs when you have washed it shall be washed a second time and be clean. This is the law for the case of leper disease in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or in the wolf or any article made of skin to determine whether it is clean or unclean. Chapter 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of leprous person for the day of cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall look. Then if the case of leper disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water." And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go on into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside of his tent seven days. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. 
And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish and a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and one log of oil. And the priest who cleansed him shall set the, set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with the log of oil. Wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering. Like the sin offering belongs to the priest, it is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offerings, and the priest shall put it on uh, the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in the left hand, and sprinkle some oil with the finger seven times before the Lord." And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot, and on the blood of the guilt offering, and on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterwards he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But if he is a poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived, to make atonement for him. And on a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering and a log of oil, also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford, the one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day, he shall bring them to the cleansing to the priest and to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil. And the priest shall wave them before a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed. And on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of the right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own hand and shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in the left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of the right foot in the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, along with the grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is to be cleansed. This is the law for him in whom the case of leprous disease, who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. Verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in the house of the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, There seems to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that the house be declared unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in and see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. 
If the disease is spread into the walls of the house, then the priests shall command that they take out the stones in which the disease and throw them into the unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped of all around, and the plaster as they scrape off shall pour in, out into an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. 43. If the disease breaks out again in the house after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go out. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house, it is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house shall, while it is shut up, shall be unclean until evening. And whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest come, looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds and, two, and with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop and shall kill one of the birds in the earthenware vessel over fresh water and shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed in the fresh water and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, with the fresh water, and with the live bird, and with the cedar wood, and the hyssop, and the scarlet yarns. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease, a garment, or in a house, and for the swelling, or an eruption, or a spot to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. Then the, this is the law for leprous disease. Now transitioning into 15, this moves to bodily discharge. Verse 15, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when a man has discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of the uncleanness for a discharge, whether the body runs with a discharge or the body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which one which the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one which with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches his body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in the water and be unclean until the evening." And if the one who has discharged spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands and in the water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And the earthenware vessel that is the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one of discharge is cleansed of his discharge, he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his body in fresh water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest." And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. 
And if, a miss, and if a man has an emission of semen, then he shall bathe his whole body in the water and be unclean until evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes out has be washed with water and unclean until evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until evening. When a woman has discharge and the discharge is her blood, her body is blood, she shall... Be, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening." Whether it is the bed or anything on which he sits, when he touches it shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her in her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has discharged of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has discharged beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as a bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean. And as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. 27. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in the water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after she is, uh, she shall be clean. And on the eighth day, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from the uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle in, that is in their midst. Verse 32. This is the law for him who has a discharge and for him who has an omission of semen becoming unclean, thereby also her who is unwell in her menstrual impurity, that is for anyone male or female who has discharge and for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now, Lord, and Lord, there are many topics that we read throughout this passage. And Lord, I just pray now, Lord, as your word is proclaimed, as it has already been read, Father God, that your spirit would move in this place, physically here amongst us, those that are watching online, wherever they may be. Father, I pray that you would speak. Father, I pray, God, that you would be glorified during this time. Father, I pray, Lord, for our brother and sister congregations who have already gathered this morning, St. Andrews particularly, and others who are uh, even gathered right now as your word is being proclaimed, or maybe the pastor is just now finishing up the word, Lord. We know that your word does not return void, and I pray, God, that, that the souls of the people who are listening, God, that they would be attentive to hear from you today. Have your way in this place, Lord. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A lot of scripture today, right? A lot of scripture, a lot of topics, all right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take 13, 14, and 15, and I'm going to give you an overview of kind of what's happening between the three, and then I'll go into some applicable points, okay? I promise not to keep you here till two o'clock, all right? So let's look at these things. Kind of an overview of where we're going, 
Uh, our sickness exists as a result of the sin of the fall. The sin separates us from God, and therefore we have to be cleansed of our sinfulness, and that is only done through Jesus. So to kind of give you this review of chapter 13, what is the purpose of the impurity laws that we have been talking about? They were ritual. They were not medical. We don't see God prescribing some medical aids or procedures to to necessarily cure the skin diseases mentioned in the passage. Instead, we see God decree how certain kinds of sicknesses rendered his people ritually unclean. What did it mean for the people to be unclean? This is a little bit of review of what we talked about the last couple weeks, but what did it mean for the people to be unclean? It meant that they were not allowed to enter the worship or be in the presence of the people of God, which was obviously not a welcome thing. No one wanted that to be the case. People wanted to go and be able to worship. So what is the purpose of what we've just read from chapters 13 through 15? Well, the purpose of these chapters were to teach the Israelites how to diagnose the conditions that made them ritually unclean and also how to return to a clean state. We see in these chapters, it addresses these skin diseases. 13 specifically, it gives all of these listings. And God gives seven different types of situations regarding this, okay? Now, I'm not gonna go back and and read each verse and come back to it. I'm just gonna kind of give you an overview of where it's coming from. Specifically, at the beginning part there of verse two, he said, a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of the body. That was in verse two, okay? We know from the verses that followed, verse two, that the person would show this to the priest and it met the criteria of uncleanness and the person was considered unclean because they had that. If the condition was uncertain, though, we know that the person would basically have to go into quarantine for seven days. When it says that they shut them up, they were quarantined. They were put off away from the people. We, we all know too well about quarantine, do we not? Oh, we can't stand it. They, they had to be quarantined for a seven-day period. And then after that period was done, they were examined again. And after being examined, they would have to go for another quarantine. So it's a total of 14 days. And if the spot spread was not, um, excuse me, if the spot was spread at the end of 14 days, the person was unclean, and if not, the person was to wash their clothes, and then they were considered clean. The second thing we see in that breakdown of those different areas, in verse 9 specifically, it says, when a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, and that, that could mean he, uh, something that is a skin disease that is developed on a person, it, it talks about how the person would go to the priest to be examined. They would specifically go there. And if there were signs of uncleanness, the person, again, is considered unclean. However, if the person showed white skin growing, they were considered clean because the skin had, a not, had initiated new skin. Verse 18 specifically then, if there is a skin of one's body, has a boil and it heals. The person would show the boil to the priest. The priest would determine the unclean or send the person for quarantine. And then afterwards, they would be either good or not, depending on that. We see in 24, when one on the body has a burn on its skin and the raw flesh of the burnt offering becomes a spot, reddish or white or white. It burns were handled in the same way as described with the boils. Going into verse 29, when a man or woman has a disease on the head or the beard, it could also be translated as skin in verse 29, the person would show it to the priest, and again, they would follow the same process. 
and 38, when a man or woman has spots on the skin of the body, white spots specifically, the priest would examine, declare, and move forward. And it says in the, the seventh one found in verse 40, if a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. Praise God, because I'm balding. That was a good joke, thank you. Nobody laughed, really. Um, but then it says, if there is on the bald head or a bald forehead a reddish-white disease area, it is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head and his bald forehead. The priest would examine the area, and if they see that the swollen area was reddish or white, the person was considered unclean. I'm giving you a quick overview of those, okay? After we see these examples, we must look back at the passage for a moment and look specifically at verses 45 and 46, and this is on the screen for you. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. We read those verses and we see that these unclean people had to wear these torn clothes, grow out their hair, live by themselves in isolation, and had to even yell out, unclean, unclean, when they came close to others. As you can imagine, being richly unclean was a difficult thing. It's very difficult. But there had to be separation. There had to be, because what does God require? God requires holiness. We see in the passage, specifically in verses 47 to 59, the way by which the clothing of an unclean person was examined by the priest. Basically, to put it in layman's terms, anything that showed some kind of blemish on the clothing was to be examined by the priest. And when they looked at it, if they had it on there, it was basically like looking at some clothing and seeing something like mildew. You see that kind of thing on there. If there's anything like that, it was a potential threat, and it required the priest to make a ruling on the matter to see whether it would cause damage to the people or not. And we see specifically in verses 51 and 52 some similar vetting process like that of the skin diseases, determining between a non-contagious versus a contagious. It even says the word in there, persistent. If it's a persistent type thing, there's a major issue there. And if the spot was persistent, it was, if it was almost as if it was permanent, it had to be destroyed by burning immediately. It had to be burned away, burnt to a crisp. It had to be eliminated. Remember that. Kind of an overview from what we read there in chapter 14. The first part of 14 deals with the cleansing ceremony for those who had recovered from the skin diseases. Once the ceremony was complete, the person was considered cleansed, not clean yet, and they could go into the camp, but not into their tent specifically. They still had to wait seven days. We're consistently seeing that number seven, number of completion, wholeness. We talked about that way in the very beginning of Leviticus. And they had to wait those seven days, and then on the eighth day, they brought the sacrificial lambs and the grain offering to the priest who were there to offer the sacrifices for the unclean person and then it would make them clean. Now, I just want to interject here. I understand that there are people gathered in here right now and watching online that maybe are coming in at some point midway through this series. I'm not telling you to do this so you can go and hear Pastor Walter or I talk. But if you want good context of where we're coming from, you need to go back and listen to some of these verses just to cover, or these sermons, excuse me, to cover what we've covered from all from chapter one leading up to chapter 11 before we moved into these purity laws. 
Just a, a note for that. The second half of the chapter 14, though, it deals with the houses infected with some type of growth. Now, most scholars agree that the outbreak in a home was more of like a fungal type growth, like a mildew. But if the person or family noticed this type of growth, they called upon the priest who would go to examine the growth. I gotta say, I am so thankful that we as pastors don't have to go and examine fungal growths in houses. The priest went to do this, though. The spots were examined, then the house was shut off for seven days. Nobody get in. After the seven days, the priest would make an order for the infected stones to be removed. Now, in some severe cases, if the spots had returned and they would not go away, a persistent type thing, the whole place had to be demolished. Again, just like with the clothing being burned and and completely eliminated, the same thing had to happen there. If the spots were gone and did not reappear, the ceremony would take place and the house would be considered clean again. And we see there in verses 48 through 53 of chapter 14, the way by which the ceremony takes place. Now, we move into chapter 15. And I gotta tell you, it's a little uncomfortable to talk about chapter 15 because of the subject matter that's in there, okay? We can all be adults here. It's the word of God. It's profitable, every bit of it. So we must address it, okay? Now, we see in here, in this chapter, it describes this um, clean and uncleanness of a person based on bodily discharge, okay? Now, in this chapter, we see this descriptions for male and female. The first thing that God does and the way he breaks it down is we have a chronic way for a male, then a temporary, and the woman's way is the opposite. It addresses the temporary first and then the more chronic, long-term in that regard if you want to look at it that way. So the section here, the first part, the chronic for the male in verses two through five, there's not a 100% agreement by scholars as to what it is specifically they're talking about, but it could be something from a running stomach, diarrhea, things like that, or it could even be down to something with the the male genitalia area, gonorrhea, something like that, but we aren't 100% sure. Now, although we don't have an absolute understanding of that, We do know based on the remaining parts of verses 2 through 15 that this made the person unclean. And this is the subject matter by what we're addressing, clean versus unclean. In fact, not only was a person considered unclean, but the others and the items by which they were around or came in contact with, they were considered unclean. Uh, We see specifically in verses 4 through 5 about a bed. We see in uh, verse 6 about a chair. We see in verse 9, a saddle. Because the infected male sat on those things, therefore those items were considered unclean. You'll even see there, based in verse 10, 11, and 12, this same idea of the fact that it was under him. Because it was under him and the person was unclean, those things became unclean as well. I promise you we're getting somewhere with these. We do see from the examples, however, that the man can still live at home and does not have to leave the camp. It was a serious matter of being unclean. However, it wasn't necessarily as serious as what we see with the leprous-type diseases. Now, verses 16 through 18 is the temporary discharge of a male. And this pertains to the normal emission of semen in a sexual relation. And because of the passing of semen, it made the man and woman ceremoniously unclean. Because normal semen flow, semen flow was, um, was, harmon, was, excuse me, was not as harmful as a chronic discharge, the person was ritually cleansed by bathing, and the uncleanness only lasted until the evening. 
Now we go into the female. The female, again, I told you, it started with the temporary, and then it goes to the chronic. This would be basically the monthly period of a woman. And during the week of her ritual impurity, anything touched by the woman was unclean. And just as we see with a man, any secondary item touched by her was considered unclean as well. And anyone coming in contact with either the woman or the secondary items was unclean until evening. They needed to bathe, and then they needed to wash their clothing as well. We also see there the severity of the uncleanness for the man lying with a woman while she is in that period. It's forbidden elsewhere. We're going to see it later in Leviticus chapter 18. And it's also in the Old Testament and other places as well. In Leviticus chapter 20, it even references the fact that the person could be excommunicated from the people. Now we also see a chronic discharge in verses 25 through 30. This discharge of blood lasted longer than a week. And it could be considered like that of uh, any other kind of issues that would arise for long periods of time. We see this in the New Testament example with the woman of the discharge of blood that Jesus heals. So we have all of that. And that's an overview. And I, I know you probably feel like you're in a classroom and you're hearing all this stuff. But there's some major applicable points that I want us to see from these things. Okay? And the first is this. Sin infects all areas of life. Sin infects all areas of life. As we covered a few moments ago here with these chapters, 13 and 14 specifically, we see this in-depth detail of the leprosy that did to the people, how leprosy harmed the people, what it did to the people. And, And we see that this is coming, these things of this world that we struggle with as far as pain, as far as sickness, as far as death, these things all come as a result of the fall of man in Genesis chapter three. I'm going to give you an example from what God tells Adam directly in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. It says, The Lord, of God, com- the Lord God commanded the, the, um, commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you are to eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. This is a promise given by God to Adam. This is prior to Eve being created. And God is telling this to Adam. God tells Adam he will die if he eats of the fruit. This is a spiritual death, yes, but it also pertains to the things that happen in our life. Death comes about, our bodies decay as a result of sin. We know from Genesis 3, the serpent comes in, they partake of the fruit. And and, and I'll just interject here, Eve always gets a bad rep for that, but Adam was standing there. And God told Adam first before Eve was even made in Genesis 2, as I reference. And so that happens there. But because of the sin coming in the world, we battle these diseases, the illnesses that affect our bodies. The case of this passage specifically, we see that leprosy is an issue that is causing the people to be away from worship. They're having to quarantine away from God because they're considered unclean. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But we see, and we can all take, for example, this, this idea of what we see because of what happened from Genesis 3 and the lasting effects of it. We have even seen that take place right before our eyes in the last year, have we not? We have seen sickness run rampant. We've seen so much stuff happen in this world. Now, 
I want to make sure that you're hearing me. I'm not saying that all sicknesses that we battle or we have, it's tied to specific sins that we commit. What I'm saying, though, is that it's all because of the lasting effect of the sin that took place in Genesis 3. Sin infects all areas of our life. It is the whole purpose and reason as to why Jesus had to come. God's original design was tainted. God's original design of of perfectness, if you will, is tainted because of sin. Second thing we can see and, and kind of take away is that sin separates man from God. It's because of this sin that infects all areas of life, it separates mankind from God. What was originally created as this beautiful union between man and God, Genesis 3 happens and we are separated from God because of our sin. This is a common point that we we point to week after week after week. We get to the gospel prayerfully and every time that we preach the word of God, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come and died in the place of all mankind because our sin was separated. He had to pay the price, therefore making the way to God available because of what Jesus has done. We see from this passage today that each time a person is considered unclean because of the leprosy, the discharge, whatever it may be, that this thing happens. They're considered richly unclean, and they cannot worship. They must be put off. They're considered unclean. You see, for the people of Israel, this was a physical separation that pointed to something that's a major reality. Sin separates us from God. God in his sovereignty points out the fact of of what distinguishes people who are richly unclean by the skin disease, bodily discharge. Why, Why is that? Well, first off, he's God. He's sovereign. He knows all things. And so we obey and we're obedient. We, we see the things that he lays out and we, we understand this is the way in which God has decreed it. We must follow that. So what the word of God says. But as one commentary, Dr. Mosley suggests, the skin disease of leprosy. What is that? It's an external disease. It's an external disease. It can be seen. It can be seen by the naked eye. And because it can be seen, we got to think of the imagery of that. This leprosy, it's a skin disease. It's a condition that grows and spreads over time. What does sin do when it is manifested? When we, we continually are battling sin, things like that, it grows and it grows and it grows. It spreads. God wanted his people to have a tangible example to remind them of his command to be obedient, to be holy. During this time period, it's, there, there's not a cure that's given for leprosy. We just see the timetable by which the people have to sit in quarantine and wait. So at this time, it's a sin that's, that's it's, a, it's a thing that's there. I didn't mean to say sin. It's a thing that is just there, and they have to wait it out. For us that battle sin every day, those of us in Christ, we are spiritually saved. We have the promise of eternity, but we still have what every day in our lives? Still have sin. Still have, we battle it every single day. 
1 John 1, 7 through 10 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Another thing that we can see about the leprosy is that it affects the nervous system. Thus, it makes it infected people uh, not able to feel the pain, desensitized. What does sin do as it progresses? The more and more we are struggling in sin and, and, and living in sin, even those of us in Christ, the more and more we have those things, the farther and farther we feel that we are from God because we are not seeking him, being in his word, being transformed by the renewal of his word, as Pastor Walter taught with our men yesterday. Third thing we can see, we must be cleansed from our sin. We must be cleansed from our sin. Just as the people of Israel had to go through a cleansing process, we too have to go through a cleansing process. First and foremost, we cannot be ultimately clean or righteous in the eyes of God without Jesus' finished work on Calvary's cross and his defeat of sin and death and resurrection from the grave. It is because of this, and what we are going to celebrate in just a few weeks on Easter, it is because of this that there must be repentance of sin and a belief in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Peter's given his famous sermon in Acts chapter 2, and he says in 37 and 38, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Powerful to see that repentance is necessary. Now, there's a lot of times, I'll just insert this, there's a lot of times that there's confusion about that passage because he says repent and be baptized. Baptism, not required for salvation in that regard. It is the first thing that we do as a sign of obedience, but it's not required there in that passage. What about when I sin after I'm saved? Well, we have to battle the dailies that we face every single day of sin. There must be this daily confession and repentance of sin to God. And it's not a legalistic thing. But as the Holy Spirit convicts us, because remember, the Holy Spirit indwells us once we come to faith in Christ. As we are convicted by the Holy Spirit of the sin in our life, we repent of it and we flee from it. We give it to God. But we also must be willing to confess our sins to one another, our brothers and our sisters, our trusted accountability partners, our trusted people that are there with, with us to walk with us in the faith, to help us to grow. Pastor Walter referenced this passage in, in regards to what it said about healing and a few verses ahead on Wednesday night, but on James 5.16, it says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is working. We must consistently, church, find people in our lives, in our church family, brothers and sisters, men with men, women with women that we go to, and we talk about things of the scriptures. We talk about the sin that is in our life, and we confess those things with one another as we grow in our sanctification, those of us who are saved. 
Last thing I'll point out. Verse 4, or point 4. Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus is the establishment of the new covenant. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. What we see in Leviticus God gives these laws concerning the things clean versus unclean in the context of his covenant that he made between himself and the people of Israel. When Jesus arrived on the scene during his earthly ministry, we referenced it just a couple weeks ago, but he says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. When Jesus comes, he does not come to abolish the laws that were laid out. He came to fulfill them. He came to be the one because of his sacrifice on the cross and his blood that is poured out and God's wrath that is poured out on him. Jesus, as our substitutionary atonement, the spotless lamb of God, because of what he has done, he came and he fulfilled the law. Everything that was written out through Leviticus, all the way from Genesis, all the way to the end of the Old Testament, everything is pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he fulfills that law. And because he has fulfilled that law, the way between man and God is made open because of his sacrifice. Jesus' establishment of the new covenant points not to external things, but to the internal, our wicked, sinful hearts that need a divine intervention. Think of it this way. If I were right now, my heart stopped beating and I collapsed here on this stage, Somebody would go and call an EMS. Somebody would come in and they would probably try to take the machine and to restart my heart, to get it going. Think of it this way in that context. Our sin, if you are not in Christ, our sin separates us from God. That's an eternal separation. That is an eternal separation and the people that we love and that we care for our friends, our family, our coworkers, whomever it may be that you know that is lost, their hearts are stopped sinfully, wickedly, because it's separated from God because of the sin from Genesis 3 that has just run rampant through this world. And if we're in Christ, we know the moment that we confess Christ as Lord and repent of that sin, what happened? Spiritually, our hearts restarted. We have been made right with God because of Christ Jesus' righteousness. Nothing that we've done. Nothing that we will ever do. Jesus is the one who has paid it all. Jesus is the one who has made it right. Jesus is the one who has cleansed our wicked, sinful hearts. Thanks be to God for that. We see all these things with the laws. We see all these things and we read through them and we try to take it in and we try to dissect and we learn. And you might read through those things. You might say, man, this is a lot. And this is, I, I, just hearing you read all these things, I'm so lost over the page. Well, I will just tell you this. The word of God never returns void. The word of God is powerful. It is profitable. And as we see in Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, this is not on the screen. I just want to read this to you. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, there but water the earth, making it bring forth and to sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, 
because it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed the thing for which I sent it. You may be sitting there right now, here amongst us. You may be watching online right now. On this Sunday as it's live or in the future, if you go back and watch a thing, you might be listening to this right now at some day in the future on the internet. You might say, why on earth did I pick this day to hear about leprosy and discharge and all this kind of stuff? Why? Why on earth? I'll tell you this. It's because God ordained for you to hear this. God ordained for you to hear it. And the reality is that his word never returns void. And so I firmly believe that you've heard this today. You're trying to process it all. I know it's a lot within a period of time. But I know that his word never returns void. And so you have heard something said today that might still be lingering there. It might be stored away for later and it'll come back. But the word of God never returns void. There's a powerful thing that God is trying to say as we've gone through all of these, as we've gone through today, and as we will in the future. God is still in the business of saving people's souls. He will until Christ Jesus returns. And we as his church have been called to proclaim that Jesus is. So now we're going to move into this time before we sing our last song. Just a moment of reflection and prayer and, and seeking God and saying, Lord, what is it that you are saying to me right now through all of this? And so I want to encourage you to do that. I want you to take a moment in quiet reflection. I will be quiet. Quiet reflection and pray and ask God, what is it that you want me to take away from this? Maybe you've been sitting there and you've been hearing something said and you're saying, I know exactly what God is saying to me. I need to talk to somebody. Well, you got good news. You got two pastors here. You got deacons. You got followers. You got three pastors here. Brother David's here. You got followers of Jesus that would love to share with you and talk with you about what it means to surrender your life to him if that is what God is doing today. I just want to encourage you. Take this time. If you're a follower of Christ, ask God, what is it that he's asking you to do next? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to stop and say, Lord, what are, God, what are you saying right now to me? But let's take the time. Let's reflect, and then I'll close in prayer before the band comes and sings. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good. And Father, you are so good, and and Lord, I trust, just as I read a moment ago, Lord, that your word never returns void. Lord, there's been a lot that we've covered today through your word. 
But Lord, I believe even through the, the length of the stuff that we've covered, the, the subject matter by which we've covered, Lord, I, I believe and I trust, God, that, that you're working through it all because your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it doesn't return void. Lord, I believe and, and I trust knowing, God, that, that you, are, you are speaking right now. Granted, to each and every person individually, wherever they may be in their spiritual journey with you, maybe those that don't even know you, Lord, and you're drawing them to yourself right now. Father, you are God, and, and, and you know that. I don't. But, Lord, I trust, God, that you are moving and you're working and that you will continually do so until you establish the new heavens and the earth and you make all things new. Lord, we long for that day. We rejoice in the fact that we know that sickness and pain and death will be no more on that day. So, Father, now, Lord, as we move into this time of, of singing to you, Lord, I pray, God, that your spirit would continually move. God, that you would speak to the hearts of the people that are in the sound of my voice. That you would have your way, Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.